0: Hey, what's going on everyone welcome to another episode of about abroad where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe we're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad remote work visas and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps if you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at eResidency of Estonia, if you're a globe-trotting digital nomad, expat, freelancer, or somebody with a business whether that's just you or an aspiring unicorn like some of the many other unicorns that have come out of Estonia, then look at e-residency of Estonia the next time you're thinking about where to establish your business. E-residency is a digital identity issued by the Republic of Estonia, which is in the European Union, to foreign nationals, that means non-Estonians giving them digital access to the country's advanced online infrastructure and open business environment. And when I say advanced, I mean advanced. They've been doing digital for decades. e residents can start a company 100% online from wherever they are in the world, run it remotely, open business bank accounts, and even submit their annual reports, all with their electronic ID card. It's literally international business without borders for location-independent entrepreneurs, perfect for the about-abroad audience. The next time you're thinking about where to establish your business, look at e-residency of Estonia via the link in the show notes. Okay, now back to the episode. My guest today is David McKeegan. He is the co-founder of Greenback Tax, which is an expat-focused tax firm helping expats from the US file their taxes back in America, but he's also an expat himself. Currently living in Nosara, Costa Rica. So we go deep into Costa Rica, what the town's like that they're living in, how his kids are adapting to living there after they've already lived in places like Mendoza, Argentina, and Barcelona, and London, and Bali, um, and plenty of other places. They have traveled the world as a family, but are currently settled down in Costa Rica and loving life. So we talk a little bit of tax, a little bit of entrepreneurship a little bit of expat life and digital nomad life, digital nomad visas. We get into a bit of it all during this discussion and I really enjoyed picking the brain of one of the entrepreneurs that I really respect in the expat world because I am a customer of their service. So it was really fun for me to get him on the show. I hope you guys will enjoy this one as much as I did. Please help me in welcoming David to About Abroad. David, buenos dias. Welcome to About Abroad.
1: Awesome, thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting. I'm a, I'm a long time Greenback customer, a, a happy Greenback customer. So to have you on the show, sharing the, the story behind the company and, and even in more detail, your story, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. So let's start with, for the audience that they, they don't, might not know exactly who you are and what Greenback is. Can you, uh, can you give us a little background?
1: Sure. So uh, my wife and I are originally from the States. Uh, we've been expats since 2002, and we originally moved over to Spain. We did our MBAs in Barcelona, and then from Barcelona, we moved to London, and we are working in finance in London for a bunch of years. One of the problems that we had a number of years in London was our U.S. taxes, so, if you don't know, uh, the United States, North Korea, and Eritrea are the three nations in the world that tax their citizens when they live overseas. So, we're in very good company, as you can tell. So, the problem we were having was our accountant didn't really understand all the intricacies of the expat tax situation. And so, we had to, we ended up having to amend some tax returns and Yeah, just go through a whole rigmarole and it was around the same time that the financial crisis was happening. My wife and I went on a vacation, we're in Croatia, we love traveling and we're sitting in Croatia saying, Hey, you know what? Our life is pretty good, but it's not going to go the direction we want it to go unless we make a change. And, you know, we both had good paying banking jobs. We were pretty secure, even with the financial crisis and everything. And we started kicking around ideas for a business we could start. And we thought, okay, we've got this problem personally with, you know, getting our taxes done every year. Why don't we tackle that? Why don't we see if that's something we can work on and, you know, fix that problem for ourselves, but also for other people. So I went back to my office. I was on a syndicated loan desk and, uh, In the first half of 2008, I sold about a billion pounds worth of debt. In the second half of 2008, big donut. There was no action in the market. So, you know, our team was probably 15 people or something like that. And there's guys who were going out and getting remote control helicopters, you know, like little drones, flying them around the office, you know, goofing off. I'm sitting there writing a business plan. I'm head down at my desk. Working on this business plan, yeah, you know, from nine to five every day. People are like, "What are you doing?" Like, yeah, you know, nobody even has their computer on. Why are you sitting there, yeah, you know, pounding away on your keyboard? And it was working on the original business plan, the original, yeah, you know, idea behind what's now Greenback. And uh, then I'd go home, and Carrie and I would talk about it all night long. I'd go back in, I'd work on the revisions the next day, and then bring it home. We'd review it together, and. You know, that's how the idea came about, and that's how we started it. Uh, so what is it? Greenback is a company that helps Americans overseas get their taxes done. So, you know, stay compliant on the U.S. tax front side, you know, help advise people uh, where and how they have to manage their taxes, because it's a different situation when you go outside the U.S. and nobody tells you what to do. Um, We can get into the weeds of that more if you want to. But, yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls that people fall into if they're not careful.
0: Yeah, it's 100% true. I can attest to this. Um, I've lived in a handful of countries now and uh, four years here in in Spain where I currently am. And this is something that never ceases to amaze me how challenging it is because it's (coughs) something every single person technically has to do every single year and uh, all around the world. And there's millions of us expats living abroad. And yet it is still uh, a relatively painful process. Uh, especially I tell people, I always tell people like, if you imagine how you hate dealing with the IRS, right? Well, imagine doing that with two <laughs> governments <laughs> or maybe three governments if you own properties in different countries. Like it gets it gets messy really, uh, really quickly. What I love about your story though, is that it's born from like a real itch. Like you had an itch that needed to be scratched. You weren't Satisfied with what was out there, and uh, and you guys rolled up your sleeves and built something for yourselves. It sounds like,
1: yeah, you know, it was it was multiple itches that we were trying to scratch. If if I'm perfectly honest, you know what it's like living in Europe. Uh, you get pretty good vacation time, especially compared to the U.S. Right. So when I was a banker, I think Carrie and I both had about 35 vacation days a year which, you know, we would tell people in the States that, and they'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. And we were always like, you know, wouldn't it be nicer if we could just take a bit more time off? Wouldn't it be nicer if we could do a bit more like deep travel, slow travel, yeah, all these kind of things. And, you know, for us, the other thing that was another big driver in starting our company was we saw how other people were doing it in London, having kids and You know, having to move to a different neighborhood, get into the right school, like all these kind of things. And we sort of thought, you know, that's well and good, but that's not really what we want. Um, You know, we don't want to have to hire a nanny to take care of the kids so that we can keep working so we can afford the bigger house in the different neighborhood. (laughs) And so that was another itch we were trying to scratch by starting our own business is saying, you know, we want a business that we can do from anywhere um, and not be restricted in where we live or, you know, how much or how little we work, you know, things like that. We want to be able to choose our own destiny, if you will.
0: Yeah. And you guys have chosen that uh, in, a, in a lot of different <laughs> ways. You, you you mentioned Barcelona, you mentioned London, you're currently in Costa Rica. Where, where else have you guys lived? I, I think there's a few other places on that list.
1: So our the general uh, way we did it was we went from New York, where we were living, we went to Barcelona, we did our MBAs there, we moved to London from Barcelona. Um, we then went down to Brazil and Uruguay, and we spent about nine months down there. We went back to the UK for two or three months, and then we packed up and we moved to Bali, Indonesia we lived in Bali for about a year and a half and then decided that we really missed steak and red wine. So we moved to Argentina and we lived in Mendoza for about nine months. And then we lived in Buenos Aires for about nine months. And we actually, so our oldest son was born in the UK. Uh, Our second son was born in Argentina and then uh we were living in Argentina. We had this nice little flat in uh uh in Palermo and we said, "Hey, in Buenos Aires." And we said, "Yeah, let's go back to Bali for a vacation." And you know, it was winter in Argentina, like right? we need to go somewhere warm and sunny. So we went back to Bali and you know, it was like the second day we were back in Bali. We walked down to the beach to have lunch and yeah, you know, Timmy and Jake are two boys walked down to the beach, and they just started digging in the sand. Carrie and I had this great lunch sitting on the beach, and by the end of the lunch, we decided we were going to move back to Bali. Uh, So that afternoon, we walked around. We found another house uh, in Bali. I flew back to Argentina, packed up our stuff, sold a lot of the furniture and everything, got back to Bali, and we spent another five years in Bali at that point. we had a third son. We actually had him in the US, but we were living in Bali at the time. And then from Bali, we moved to Costa Rica about, was it two, almost three years ago? And the main reason for that move was just to be a little bit closer to home. Uh, as our parents are getting older and things like that, we didn't want to be uh, 27 hours away. We wanted to be a you know, more reasonable distance so that we could get back and see people more and stuff like that
0: gotcha gotcha wow that is quite the adventure did i count correctly <laughs> three is that three kids on three continents
1: yep or there's three- no oh, economy yeah. of scale there you, 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 know, <laughs> you, you don't get any additional learning by having them in different places you know, you just have to figure out different medical systems <laughs>
0: Do you ever, you ever wonder in those situations? You're like, why did we do this to ourselves? Why don't we just have one in the same place so we know how this whole thing works?
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. We have between the five of us, we have eleven passports. Uh, so my joke is, it's like Jason Bourne, the later years. Yeah, it's like the whole family has multiple passports. <laughs>
0: You don't know who you're talking to. Mission Impossible.
1: Uh, it's like, which, I love it. Which country are we going into? Like, which passport do I need here? Yeah. The negative <laughs> is, is you have to renew twice as many passports. Which you know. <laughs>
0: this this can be problematic. This is this is the truth, though, isn't it? Like, there are a lot of like it. That all sounds so fun. Everything you said, and I'm sure people listening are going, "Man, that's really cool. I would love to do that um, on some level or another." And but it comes with a lot of challenges too, right? I mean, renewing passports is, is not like really a super easy thing and paying taxes in multiple countries and finding rental properties and buying property and having kids and all the stuff that comes with being an expat isn't always super easy, but yet we, we continue to do it, right? And, and there's I don't know if it's what it is. What is it for you? Is it wanderlust? Is it just the need to be in another place or, or what resonates for you?
1: It, you know, it's just, I guess you would call it loss but it's just that there's so many things in the world to see. And there's so many things that are interesting out there and beautiful and exciting that, yeah, you know, once you start doing it, once you start seeing that, like, it's really hard to stop. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's really hard to like kind of unwind and say, uh, you know, Like, I've seen so much of the world, I don't need to ever go back. I don't need to see it again. Like, I'm just going to stop traveling now. It's like, no, it's like, you know, I want to go back to uh, Rome and eat more tiramisu. I want to go back to Brazil and have some acai and go surfing and, you know, do all these different things. Um, And, you know, what I find is that the more you travel, the more places you go and the deeper you get into them, the more places you want to go. Cause you start talking to people about what they're doing and where they're doing it. And, Oh my God, this amazing thing happened. Like, and it just, I don't know for me, it just gets my mind on fire. Uh, and our whole family's that way, you know, like our kids are throwing out travel ideas that they read about in books and stuff like that. And, you know, my wife has a joke that uh, we never remove things. We only add them to the list. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an adventure. <laughs> it
0: is. I I can totally understand how, how old are the kids like rough, roughly rough age? Are they young or are they in their teenage years or,
1: uh, 12, nine and seven. We've got three little boys.
0: So they know they're, they're aware, like, you know, they're not toddlers. They're like, we're living in a different place. And, uh, they're getting to experience the, the travels now as well.
1: Yeah. And you know, like we were just on a trip, we went out to, uh, Lisbon and Rome and, uh, Yeah, the kids are kind of like, okay, where are we now? Like, it's like, okay, all right, and you know, in our uh, we've got a place in Connecticut as well as our place here in Costa Rica, and uh, we've got this massive map on the wall in the kitchen, and you know, whenever we're back there, the kids are sitting staring up at the map, and they're like, okay, I've been here, and oh, that's why that was such a long flight because to go from here all the way over there (laughs) takes you know so much time, and yeah. so, you know, they're learning their geography through, uh, you know, actionable events. <laughs> <laughs> they are.
0: <laughs> are. Are they in school there in Costa Rica, though? Is, there, is that or do you guys go back for the school year to the U.S.? Or what does that look like?
1: So when we were in Bali, uh, they were enrolled in the Bali Island School, which is a IB school, International Baccalaureate mm-hmm. School. We moved to Costa Rica. And we picked this town called Nosar. It's in the Guanacaste Peninsula, which is, if you look at a map of Costa Rica, it's the little peninsula on the Pacific side. And we're about halfway down on the Pacific side. Uh, there is a school here. We started the kids out in the school here, and then COVID hit. And we said, you know, the kids did about a year, year and a half at the school before COVID hit. And then we said, okay, you know, we need to change this up, we need to come up with a different plan. So we used Oak Meadow, which is an online homeschooling course, and we got a cur- curriculum from them. Uh, we hired a tutor down here to do a lot of the homeschooling with them, and we started doing that. And slowly what happened is other parents started having the same ideas, and they started saying, hey, you know, this is well and good, but, you know, uh, I met this person, and uh, they ran a school in this country and they want to start something down here. So they're going to do a project-based learning course. And so now there's a project-based learning curriculum that we do in addition to the uh, the Oak Meadow accredited, accredited uh, program for the kids. And so we're kind of able to add things in here and there. And the kids, it, it's really interesting because I went through like the public school system in the U.S. went you know to public grammar school, public high school, went to college. Uh, my wife lived in Mexico as a child, so she went to a private school in Mexico, moved back to the states, went to high school in the states, and then college in the states. Our guys haven't really lived in the states. Like we'll go back over the summers; they'll go to summer camp in the U.S. to that's like us teaching them how to be Americans, yeah, you know? <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Which, it's
0: really it, we're really indoctrinating you in the American way uh, for for two weeks a year.
1: <laughs> well, it, for our seven-year-old, it. it's all about the food. You know, summer camp is about food. Uh, but you know, As they learn how be. to play the sports and all that kind of stuff. I love it. That's great. So when we get here, it's a different situation. Uh, there are a lot of Americans here. There weren't a lot of Americans in Bali, and the homeschooling sort of gives them freedom and flexibility to do other things, to come up with other projects and things like that. So, um, for example, our 12-year-old is really into stock investing. Uh, he, you know, he's been doing it for probably about three years now. He's, his portfolio is worth nearly, I don't know, $3,500 or so. Wow. And he's doing it all on his own. So he's taking you know, his allowance, his tooth fairy money, like all this kind of stuff. And he invests this on his own. And I think in 2020, he had a 40% return. Uh, so far this year, he's at like 35 or 40% return. And so he's into it. He got his brothers into it. So he's telling people down here that this is what he's into. And two of the people that have like homeschool groups down here said, Hey, would you mind coming and explaining this to uh, students at our school? So on our flight down, you know, on Sunday, uh, you know, he looks like a 12-year-old business traveler. He gets on, he puts on his headphones, he sets up his laptop, and he bangs out a PowerPoint presentation about how to invest. So, you know, this is, again, this is what happens when you're outside of the box, right? You know, you're not Mm -hmm. tied up in in the regular school situation where you're moving at the same speed and doing the same thing as everybody else. This is like allowing him to go deeper into something he's interested in. And he's learning all these different skills by doing it. You, know, you get a lot of math skills, doing some of the finance calculations. He's learning presentation skills. He's learning you know, executive function skills, writing a presentation, talking to adults about I can do it on this day or this day, You know, things like that. And so uh, right now his plan is to do this presentation a couple times uh, in a live group, get feedback for how it goes. Then put it up on YouTube, see how that goes, and also start a finance podcast for kids. Uh, so basically, trying to teach other kids like him how to invest and how to do that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's really it's as a parent, it's really interesting and exciting. Just watching his mind light up doing some of this stuff and. As an entrepreneur, it's really exciting seeing that spark come out of them. Yeah, you know, it's like I don't know how you teach it. I don't know how you like. I don't know that you can go to school to learn that. I think it's more something that yeah. You know, if you're around it, maybe you catch it. You know, it's more like the flu. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had somebody on the show earlier this season. He's the host of the Expat Money Show. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Uh, Mikkel Thorup is his name. Yeah, Um, but it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he, he was talking to me about this. He's just launched a online school for basically like international school of entrepreneurship or or something. I can't remember the name exactly. Something along those lines, very similar to what you're talking about. And we had an awesome discussion about this, how this idea of going down the same path, there's some parallels here, right? Between like, expats and digital nomads people living outside their home countries sort of going down the the road less traveled a little bit outside the box like you just said and yeah. also entrepreneurs and teaching entrepreneurship and te- and giving people this freedom kids primarily in this in this case giving them the freedom to kind of figure out what it is that they really want to focus on and so seeing this happen with expat families and and digital nomad families that are are raising their kids this way it's a pretty common uh, thing that I'm hearing from them is that their their kids are kind of growing up thinking differently and and coming up with new things that they're really excited about and and so I find that pretty fascinating that that's happening at the same time.
1: Yeah, no, I think we're at a really interesting point in history because for the first time that I can think of, you've got a situation where most people can do their job from multiple locations, so yeah you know, when we first started our business we would talk to my father and my wife's father and they were supportive of us they thought we were smart and you know would be successful and things like that but they would say things like uh i don't know how you run a business without a filing cabinet yeah or you know like i don't know how you can have a you know firm doing this kind of work and not have an office like how does that work and yeah, that was back in 2009. Like, I don't think anybody had coined remote first uh, <laughs> at that point. It was, yeah, you know, there was a handful of people doing crazy things and you didn't know whether or not you wanted to talk to them if you bumped into them at a cocktail party. And, you know, where we are now is so many more people can do that. So many more people are able to, you know, even take like a U.S.-based job and do it from anywhere that's in a similar time zone. So, you know, the number of people moving to this little town we're in in Costa Rica is going up dramatically because all these people are like, you know, I just said, forget it. I don't need to be in New York City or L.A. or anywhere in between. Um, I want to be able to wake up in the morning, go surfing, and then I'll dial into my meetings after that. And the same thing is happening with the kids. Uh, The kids are realizing, hey, you know, I don't necessarily have to be sitting in a school and sitting in a classroom uh, for, you know, six or eight hours a day in order to learn how to read, in order to learn how to do math, in order to learn science. Uh, There's other ways to do it. And, you know, for a parent, it's a little bit nerve wracking, right? Because, you know, you kind of know what the path is to get into college. You go to grammar school, you go to high school, you get good grades, you study, you take the SATs, you go to college. Um, you know, that's kind of the path that my wife and I both went through. But then you look at what our kids are doing and you think there's got to be a value to this. Like somebody on the admission board of some college is going to say, you know, we've got four kids from this prep school uh, who all did this same thing. Uh, and then we've got this other weird kid over here who's got you know, two or three passports. He's lived in 15 different countries. And he's been running his own business for the last six years that you know, he started at the age of 12. Why don't we give that kid a shot? You know, <laughs> and you know, it, like, That's kind of what we're taking a bet on or taking, you know, thinking will happen is that the people with the most interesting and broadest backgrounds are going to be the ones that are going to have the most opportunity in the future.
0: I think things will evolve along with this, this migration. You know, I I do think that what are the expectations and standards and things that are important today won't be for your kids. Like when you talk about college admissions, like for sure that process has to change because so many more people will be living this way. So many more people will, will have these side hustles that they started when they were 12 by posting videos on YouTube or coding or whatever. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, all of a sudden it will be much, probably much less important, like what your SAT scores were, for instance, or, or something like this, when you can say, look what I've actually produced um, over here. So I don't know how it'll change. I have not my area of expertise, but I just tend to feel like, you know, it's sometimes hard for us to look five, 10 years into the future. Uh, like I certainly couldn't have imagined 10 years ago when I really wanted and craved location independence and, but just thought it wasn't really possible that, you know, today I would just basically be talking about location independence all day, every day, because it's so prevalent. (laughs) Um, so it's, it is really kind of, kind of mind blowing. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. I would love to, uh, hear a little bit more about this place in Costa Rica. You guys are, are living in because um, you've obviously lived in some great places. I mean, some of the places in the world that you guys have lived—Bali, Barcelona, London—I uh, talked about Mendoza and Argentina. I mean, these are some of the most gorgeous places in the world. Presumably, you could live wherever you want, and you've chosen this place in Costa Rica. Costa Rica is a country, and then also this this specific place there. So, what? Why Costa Rica, and and then more specifically, why uh, this this location exactly?
1: Well, before we get to that, let me explain one. Uh, thing that you might find interesting or weird. Um, so a bunch of years ago uh, we came up with the idea that, you know, people need to be feel like they have roots. They need to feel that kind of feeling. And so a lot of people we talk to are like, Oh, I need like, how do you you know decide to move somewhere? Things like that. And so we changed our definition of forever to being one year. So, we can say, okay, you know, we're going to move to Costa Rica. And people are thinking, oh, my God, they're moving to Costa Rica forever. But in our minds, we say, no, forever is one year. And, you know, you can live pretty much anywhere for a year. Like, you know, we're not moving to bad places, right? Um, so we move to Costa Rica thinking, okay, we'll be there for at least a year, uh, hopefully longer, hopefully we'll like it, and it'll be uh, a good place to live and everything like that. And, you know, got here, I think within about three months of being here, we decided to buy a house uh, and then we decided to renovate the house a little bit. And, you know, we're in this little town where basically the jungle meets the beach. Uh, So, you know, this morning at 630, I took the kids down to the beach for their surf lesson uh, and, you know, our two youngest guys, so the seven year old and the nine year old. Are out there, you know, stretching out on the beach with a bunch of other kids from their, you know, their homeschool group, Uh, and then you know they all go out into the water, and there's one instructor for every two or three kids, and my wife takes the dog for a walk up the beach. It's like a seven mile long beach, Uh, and it's literally you just the jungle is hitting the beach like along the whole seven miles there. So it's yeah, it's magical. It's captivating uh, you know, you see monkeys all the time. There's, you know, hiking trails through the woods. And, you know, if you look up, you'll see monkeys in the trees. And if you stand there too long, they throw their mangoes at you, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, if you're, if
0: you're lucky, it's the mango that they're throwing in, yeah, uh, exactly. And Yeah, some... <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, they just paved the road, like the main road, uh, about a year ago. So, we don't have a normal car here. We have a side by side, which, if you've never seen one of these, imagine like a quad bike, but the family size version. So, it's got six seats, six seat belts. Uh, it's 1,000 cc's. It can go through, I think, three feet of water without the engine drowning out. Yeah, you know, all this kind of stuff. You can Google the, uh, the Polaris Ranger uh, crew, is the one we have. You know, a lot of the roads aren't paved. We've got potholes that could swallow a Volkswagen Beetle pretty easily. And, yeah, it's just – it's a very back-to-nature kind of place. It's a very – it's a small-town feel. You know, like we know when our kids walk into town to grab a slice of pizza or something like that, that uh, they're going to pass two or three neighbors so you can triangulate where the kids are at all times, you know, things like that. Uh, and, yeah, it was – it was a really interesting experience through the whole COVID thing uh, because it's a tourist town, but no tourists could come for most of that, and so a lot of the expats that are here were the ones supporting all the restaurants and you know trying to keep things going as much as we could for people. And it was just you got to know all your neighbors, you got to you know meet all these people who have done something cool and managed to get themselves down here. Uh, And yeah, there's new people coming all the time. So it's uh, it's really a cool community.
0: We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at Insured Nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this. Because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. Now, this is a company that was built by World Travelers for World Travelers. So They know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out Insured Nomads via the link in the show notes. Okay, now back to the episode. Sounds pretty idyllic. Um, What's the ratio like expats, to tourists, to, to locals? I mean, how does it, you know how every place you live kind of has like a, like a, a vibe to it. Like there's, it's dominated by expats or it's dominated by locals or it's just overrun with tourists. Like, and then and some places are just a conglomeration of them all. Well, how would you describe this
1: place? It really depends on the time of year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, right now we're recording in November it's mainly the expats that are here um the the original plan for where we are was to be like an expat golf course community uh and they never ended up building the golf course but they did split out all the land and everything and so it's a lot of expats living here and then the next town over is where a lot of the local people live so you know where we are directly is mainly expats But then what happens is around holidays and the peak travel season time, you get just floods of tourists. Um, So, you know, like for Christmas, like we're going back to the U.S., uh, but there's just a flood of people coming in. And, you know, we were able to rent our house out. I think it got booked a year in advance uh, by people that wanted to come down and be here for Christmas and New Year's. Um and you know that's what a lot of the expats do is they will rent their house out at the peak tourist season, they'll go somewhere else and let somebody else use their place uh here in Nosara and you know make a little bit bit of money or you know, have a free vacation like that kind of thing. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Very interesting. It sounds like a, a really nice place for a, uh the family to call home. And and so are you guys yeah planning, I know you only plan for one year, one year's forever, but is this is this home for right now or are there itchy feet expecting to go somewhere in the near future?
1: It, you know, we expect to go everywhere in the near future. <laughs>
0: That's uh, a great <laughs> mentality.
1: <laughs> our sort of like our ideal plan um, would be to be here in Costa Rica for about six months of the year. Uh, and this would be like home base. This is where our homeschool groups are this is where our dog is You know, like this is home uh and then we would go ideally you know when travel fully opens up again uh we get a rainy season here in may and april you have easter so we would leave here for easter and for the rainy part of the season and go back to bali because april and may is beautiful in bali so let's go there and hang out there for a little while And then come back here for a month or so then go up to the states do summer camp in the u.s for a month or two uh you know i'm one of six kids i get to see all my brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and everything the kids get to know all their cousins and everything uh and then we'd come back down here we'd kick off the school year and then leave again because there's a second rainy season in october and travel around europe for a couple weeks in october uh, because that's a really nice time to be there. It's not too hot. There aren't too many tourists, things like that. Uh, so that's our plan for the next 12 months. And we're just trying to see how it works with COVID and you know, travel restrictions and stuff like that, see if we can open it up.
0: That's your plan for forever. Apparently, twelve yeah. months—you've uh, got it all locked down. The rest of your life is is already mapped out. <laughs> uh, it sounds uh, so so perfect. It's what so many people that come on the show are aspiring to to work up to. It's something that I uh, a very similar path is something that I would like to do because I would like to be able to spend more time back home with friends and family um, from back home, but and then also more time traveling um and and have a and have a home base or two and i I know a lot of people are trying to work towards that i'm i'm curious uh i want to ask so many questions about those next steps but what before we leave costa rica uh what generally speaking not trying to ask you to be a visa expert but just generally speaking what is the process like for an american that might want to move to the u.s and and also i will kind of piggyback on that and say about only about 30 or 40 percent of our uh, audience, 40 to 50% is going to come from the US. So there's a big population from Europe and other parts of the world that are that are listening and might be interested as well. So anything that you could share about the general process for arriving to Costa Rica and then staying beyond that would be useful.
1: Sure. So there's a lot of different visa programs here. There you have a visa program for pensioners. So you know, if you're on social security or you have some sort of pension income, You can apply for residency saying, hey, I'm taking care of because I have this pension income. There's an investor visa, which basically says, I will come and spend, I don't remember the exact number. I think it's $250,000 on an investment in Costa Rica. And then that allows you to get a residency card here in Costa Rica. Uh, There's also a new digital nomad visa that I don't know anything about. Uh, This is brand new and, you know, we've been traveling, so I I haven't been paying attention to it. Uh, But I'm sure if you Google that, uh, people can find that. And, you know, what a lot of people do is just do it the old fashioned way where they come on a 90 day tourist visa. And then when the their tourist visa is expiring, they go somewhere else. So people will take a trip out to Nicaragua. Uh, if you've never been to Nicaragua, Nicaragua is amazing. It's a fantastic country. A lot of people do a visa run up there. You go to Granada for a couple of days. You go to San Juan del Sur. You go surfing for a couple of days, um, or they'll go somewhere else. Yeah, you, know, you can fly up to Miami if you're missing the states a little bit, or if you need to do some shopping or something like that. You can fly to Colombia. You can fly to you know wherever you want to go really. So that's how most people here do it. Like a lot of people, if they're coming down here and They're thinking, I'm going to be here for a long time. Uh, They'll buy a property and they'll do the investor visa that way. And then if they're not sure how they want to set it up, like there's a couple new co-working spaces opening up in our town here. And I imagine we're going to have a flood of people coming down here on the 90 day visa saying, hey, I just want to try it on. I don't want to commit to anything. I want to see what life is like here. I'll give it 30 days, 90 days. And if I like it, maybe I'll do the Nicaragua road trip and uh, come back on a new visa. And if I don't, I'll go somewhere else. Historically speaking, the Costa Rican government has been very cool with that uh, and hasn't minded people on that perpetual tourist visa thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was my understanding. I I spent some time in Costa Rica as well and um, just on a tourist visa. And uh, over in uh, Puerto Viejo, I think on the other side of the country, oh, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Um, and uh, and anyway, I was, I've was met a lot of people doing that. There are Americans uh, or Canadians living there uh, for years. And they're, I was like, oh, how do you stay? And they're like, yeah, I just cross the border every 90 days and spend a day or two in another country and then come back and no problems. Uh, I'm curious yeah. to see if with the emergence of these digital nomad visas and more... Uh, more remote work focused visas that actually try to account for these people. Um, I'm wondering if that will that leniency will will change as governments start to uh, think, well, maybe I should be collecting some tax revenue off these people or or something. So. It'll be interesting i don't know if you have any perspective on that being that you're in that world sort of
1: (laughs) you know i think that that's coming but it's not here yet like i think right now a lot of countries are thinking hey we just want them here spending money um you know if we can get a bunch of people from countries that earn higher salaries than the people here and they come here and they're spending that money here all the time just that alone is going to help boost up our economy but you're right i i totally think that at some point they're going to say, hey, you know, we got a nice boost to the economy from that. Uh, I bet we'd get an even better boost if we start taxing people uh, for being here. And, you know, like there's a couple things Americans can do to avoid double taxation. There's, uh, you know, the foreign tax credit. So if you're paying taxes to a foreign country, you can take a dollar for dollar tax credit on your U.S. taxes. Um, if you're more in the digital nomad camp, you can use the foreign earned income exclusion to exclude it's about $108,000 of income, uh, from your U S taxes. And you know, you have certain things you have to do and criteria you have to meet in order to qualify for that. Uh, but you know, it's, it's going to come down the pipe at some point where people are going to say, oh, you know, like we really like having these tour, you know, these perpetual tourists here. Uh, but they should be helping pay for the rooms. They should be helping pay for, you know, the infrastructure of the internet and, you know, all these different things that they're consuming while they're here. And yeah, I don't know how that's all going to play out, but it's going to be interesting to watch it. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's not a blockchain solution to it. Mm. So like, I'm not a big crypto person or anything like that. I'm just starting to learn more about it because uh, basically my kids are getting interested in it. So I have to stay ahead of them and or try to stay ahead of them. <laughs> you, can't
0: be the, you can't be the one at the table that doesn't know the, the crypto exactly. mingo, right? <laughs> like, dad, you're the money guy. Come on, you got to know this stuff.
1: <laughs> right. But, yeah, you know, there's all these different uh, solutions that are coming through on blockchain. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at some point, you know, like, at the corporate level, they're reaching this uh, agreement about a minimum global tax on corporations. I wouldn't be surprised that at some point in the future, uh, they try and do something similar on the personal income tax level, and say, you know, we just want to make sure that globally people are paying, you know, a reasonable amount to wherever they are, and we're going to use blockchain to track where they are, and uh, you know, some of these technologies you can have the money come automatically uh through the blockchain which would be an interesting solution
0: yeah yeah that would be fantastic that would really simplify things for those of us that have complicated it for ourselves by by moving around to to different countries i can tell you when we talk about like where it's going and what governments are going to do spain here for instance has had this uh this visa that i'm on which is basically set up for pensioners like you like you described Um, essentially if you have a fixed income, which used to just be based pensioners and you weren't working, essentially, you could come live here and spend that, that social security money, that pension money here. And they were fine with that. Um, but then it started applying to remote workers because it was the same concept. Oh, you have a fixed income coming from another country. You're not going to come here and take a job from a local. Um, Mm -hmm. so sure. Come here and spend that money and, and that's fine. Um, but now they're they're, although that visa still exists and nothing's changed about that visa, they're no longer from what I hear. Uh, i'm I'm lucky. i'm I'm so far into it. I'm four years into having mine that I don't have to reapply for it again. But even though they know exactly what I'm doing and what I like I've had to have like letters from my company to say, here's what he's doing. I've had to show my bank statements showing here's how much I make every month, deposits right. from my company. <laughs> They're saying to new people applying, oh, no, you don't fit that criteria. You need to go the digital nomad route, which has a whole bunch of other uh, the digital nomad visa route, which has a whole bunch of tax implications and other issues. So they are definitely going to try to adjust for this this huge wave of remote workers that that's coming to all these these destinations around the world.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's going to happen at some point and you know, then the, it's going to be a game of cat and mouse with some people for a while, I imagine, because you know, if you can work from anywhere, if you can travel around at will, um, you know, maybe what people will do is say, hey, you know, if you're in the EU, uh, most EU countries, it's if you're inside the country for 183 days, uh, you become taxable in that country. Uh, so you're going to have a lot of people spending six months in Europe and then six months somewhere else so that they are tax free in both places. Right. And then, uh, you know, depending on how much you're earning, you'll use the foreign earned income exclusion to uh, reduce your U.S. tax liability. And all of a sudden you have these people who you know, are basically doing uh, what some of these big corporations are have been doing for years, you know, GE, Facebook, Google, like, you know, trying to set themselves up in multiple jurisdictions to confuse who's supposed to be taxing them (laughs) and, you know, getting your tax rate down to as close to zero as you can get it. Um, And then, you know, what I've seen with people, uh, because, you know, we talked to a lot of people about this is, you know, this little light bulb that goes on over somebody's head, right? So it's like, you know, let's say you make $100,000 a year and you figure out, hey, I can get that completely tax-free. Uh, I'm still paying into Social Security, so I'm still paying my FICA taxes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and all I have to do is travel a certain amount and I'll save, you know, $25,000, $30,000 a year in tax. Well, that twenty five dollars or $30,000 a year then becomes your travel fund. And so all of a sudden you're like people's eyes light up when they hear this. Because it's like, wait a minute, you mean that instead of me paying this money in tax, I'm going to be able to spend this money on travel and Airbnbs and, you know, moving and living and, you know, seeing the world. And people just get like super excited by that. Uh, And yeah, like that's about as close to Santa as I get is, you know, having that conversation with somebody for the first time and just watching them like, oh my goodness, this is amazing.
0: Well, can I can I tell you a really this is a both a, a funny story and a compliment at the same time? I had that moment with my Greenback tax uh, accountant years ago, uh, <laughs> seven seven years ago or eight years ago, when I was trying to figure out okay, how am I going to pay for this double taxation while trying to change up my career and go live in Ecuador <laughs> and f- figure all this other crap out, and now I also got to figure out how to pay taxes in two different places. So I get on the phone with this company called Greenback Tax uh, that I've never heard of, but they say they help Americans with taxes abroad. And I go, OK, what's this guy going to tell me? And he starts explaining all these things, the foreigner and income tax exclusion, the tax credits, all the stuff. And my eyes lit up like Christmas, like, <laughs> wait a second. So that means I can take that money and spend it on travel instead. And uh, and it was it was so cool to see that this was actually like baked into the You know into our tax code and and most and in fact you know for people listening that aren't uh from the u.s yes that is all true but actually the u.s has it most of us i think and david correct me if i'm wrong we have it kind of worse off although all that's true than most people from those other countries except for the three that you mentioned where we're in company with north korea and the u.s uh in right is that correct eritrea Eritrea. in Africa. <laughs> So those three countries are the only ones that tax their citizens while they live abroad. So the rest of you that don't live in the U.S., you don't even have to worry about that little, what is it, about 14.5%, 15% uh, FICA. So it's I don't know. It's, yeah. a, it's a very interesting, a pretty exciting thing when you start doing the math.
1: I went to a conference one time, and uh, one of the presenters was a guy from New Zealand. And he was presenting on how he... Became a zero tax individual. And, uh, it, like, everybody, like, I would say 80% of the people in the room were American. Uh, and I presented at the conference, a tax attorney presented at that conference, uh, a couple other people. And, you know, we've got 30 page PowerPoint presentations explaining uh, different corporate structures and, you know, all this kind of stuff. This guy gets up there, it's a three page PowerPoint. He's like, First, I went to this office and it's a picture of the building. Like, and I filled out this form and it was like a one page form. It's like I dropped it off. I asked them if they needed anything else. They said, Yes. If or when you ever come back to New Zealand, fill out this form. And they handed him another form. And uh, he's like, And then I moved to Thailand and now I don't pay tax anywhere in the world. <laughs>
0: So, I love, yeah. I love, and hate this guy right now so much.
1: <laughs> if you're not an American, uh, yeah, this might be significantly better for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Can you explain that to me? What is the logic behind, if there is any, other than just we want our money? But like, how does the U.S. government uh, get away with? I guess in a way, saying that that this makes sense that you continue to pay this 14 or 15 percent regardless of where you are in the world while all the rest of the countries in the world go a different route
1: oh geez um i don't know that there's any easy way to answer that uh you know i believe that at the end of world war one that's when they instituted attacks on people living outside the country and yeah like so that's kind of when it started and for a long time nobody really paid attention to it and a lot of people didn't do anything with it then what happened was uh people started getting worried about all the bank secrecy stuff uh you know money and offshore accounts money funding terrorist organizations uh things like that so post 9 11 uh You had a lot of things come out where they're trying to track down the money and they're running into dead ends. Mm -hmm. And so the government started clamping down on Americans specifically saying, "Okay, you know, since the 1970s, we've had this law in the books about reporting foreign bank accounts. uh, And now we're going to track you down if you don't do it. We haven't. Yeah, it's been on the books. Nobody cared for a long time. But now we're paying attention and we're going to track you down. Um so you know if anybody out there is an American living overseas if you have a foreign bank account and you have over $10,000 in that account or in all of your combined foreign accounts you have to report that to the IRS or to the Treasury Department. Mm. Um then they started with you know FATCA. Uh and basically they're saying okay, you know if you look in the media you have a lot of stuff about expats are all rich people. They're tax cheats. They're you know moving overseas to uh, avoid taxation and do all this kind of stuff. Now, you and I know that most expats are normal people who are just trying to do something a little bit different and still make a living and all that. But that's the way the media portrays it. So when you have legislation going through saying, we're going to make it harder for these tax cheats and stuff like that, there's people that raise red flags, but because expats aren't able to vote as a group, like when expats vote, our vote gets mailed in to the last state that we lived in. And then it just gets diluted with everybody else that lives in that state. So we don't, in my opinion, have a wonderful voice in the government to say, Hey guys, you know, you're making our lives unnecessarily complex here. And yeah, you yeah. Know, this is all a bunch of nonsense. yeah you know, what is it like I've seen numbers saying you know between three and nine million Americans living abroad uh, that that would make us a pretty big state you know we'd be like 15 17th biggest state with those kind of numbers. Uh, we would have representation in government if we're able to vote as a block but we're not able to do that and since we're not able to do that, nobody pays attention nobody cares. And so they can just keep making these rules more complex and uh, more onerous for you know people like you and I. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's unfortunate because it dissuades a lot of people, or a lot of people get in trouble for doing things that seem pretty normal, but outside the U.S. Uh, yep. So yeah, you know, like all the time we see people who are trying to save for retirement. And they try and save for retirement in vehicles that look like IRAs or Roth IRAs in the U.S., but they're doing it in a foreign country because that's where they're earning the money. Uh, And some of that stuff is viewed as foreign trusts by the IRS. And so there's special reporting for that. Some of the investments are viewed as PFIX, passive foreign investment companies, Uh, so, you know, there's a whole host of different rules around that, that people are constantly getting in trouble with, you know, sometimes in different countries, the property rules are different. And so you buy and sell property differently than you would in the U S. So for example, uh, in Indonesia, we set up a company to buy a lease on a house because that helped with the visa and things like that. And so once you set up a company in a foreign country, you have to report that to the IRS. So, yeah, that company becomes an entity that needs to be reported on its own to the IRS. Failure to do so carries minimum fines that start at $10,000 a year. So you imagine you're somebody that moves to, you know, just say Costa Rica. Down here, pretty much everybody sets up a corporate entity to buy their property. And the reason they do that is so that when they're overseas they can have their attorney handle the property for them so if they want to sell it or they need a new roof they can have an attorney manage that process for them if it was owned in their name they wouldn't be able to manage that stuff because they're outside the country so here everybody buys their property via an entity and you know we're constantly talking to people and meeting people and you know Eventually they find out what we do. Eventually they start asking a couple questions and eventually it comes out that their friend, uh, hasn't been filing their taxes. And yeah, you, know, you start having a conversation about what their friend needs to do. And, quotation you know, marks,
0: uh, for yeah, those air you quotes for those, those who can't see.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, a hour or so into that conversation, it comes out that, you know, they own a home and they own it through a Costa Rican entity. And usually that's the biggest sticking point for people uh, because they haven't been reporting that corporate entity. And so, you know, it's all these complexities that the government's made to tax who they consider to be tax cheats, but they're written in such a way that they're really impacting a lot of uh, very middle class people living overseas, even pensioners like, you know, I've seen pensioners get into trouble with this, uh, with PFIX and stuff like that, just because they were trying to save for retirement. Um, And so, yeah, it's really, it can be a major headache, a major hassle for people going overseas. And I I spoke to somebody yesterday and uh, they had just moved here to Nosara and they were saying, okay, I want to understand what we need to do on the U.S. tax side of things uh, so I don't get myself in trouble. And I was like, yeah, that is genuinely the smartest thing you could do. Most people come to us three years after they've gotten here and they're already in trouble. And, you know, you and I are going to have a one hour conversation and we're going to save you from getting in trouble. Uh, so, yeah, I would recommend to anybody that's thinking about moving abroad or anybody that is abroad, just get educated on this. Understand what you need to do. And, yeah, obviously, obviously um, impartial. Uh, I think we're the best company to do it. Yeah, we've got a great blog. We've got a ton of webinars and stuff like that that people can join when we're doing them live, or yeah, you, know, you can jump on one of the ones that we have on YouTube or on our website. Uh, but yeah, you know, just get yourself educated, know what the rules are, and yeah, you know, that knowledge then becomes power, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that knowledge is then how you turn that into that Christmas moment where you're thinking, hey. You know, if I do this the right way, I now understand these rules, and I can turn my you know twenty or thirty thousand dollars of annual tax into a twenty or thirty thousand dollar annual travel fund, and you know live the life that you know nobody gets to live, and you know that's what people can do if they do a little bit of research, if they talk to an expert, uh, and just you know make sure they know the rules, make sure they understand how it all works, and it's liberating. You know, yeah, like literally like mentally liberating but geographically liberating as well
0: it is that's a excellent point to make it is it is liberating and it doesn't have to be something that holds you back it can actually be something that propels you forward if you get educated and figure out how to make this whole system work for you not against you um, and I'm—I've said this on the show like a, a million times, but I'm just such a big advocate of outsourcing the things that we're not good at. And most of us are not good at this kind of thing, um, unless you're an accountant. Uh, and this is a very niche area when you're talking about international taxes. Uh, if you're not an expert in this, and you're—you've got other complexities in your life. If you're exploring moving to another country, this is probably not an area to cut corners. Like you could actually not just cost yourself money in the end by not knowing. What you're doing and getting penalized, but you could also be propelling yourself forward with some opportunities that you miss if you uh, if you don't do it correctly. So I'm a huge fan of of outsourcing this sort of thing, hiring somebody that is a pro, and uh, and it pays for itself many times over, in my opinion. So. I personally endorse Greenback Tax as well um, because I'm a happy customer. But uh, that's it. we're two for two on this show currently that that uh, advocate for Greenback Tax. But
1: um, <laughs>
0: we, we we will have links to the, in the show notes directly to Greenback Tax um, as as well as uh, as to anywhere else that they can find you, David. This has been super fun. I, I was uh, I was really excited to get you on the show, and I learned a lot uh, both about. Costa Rica about your background and then about the tax codes and stuff as well. So super useful. Um, where else can people find you? And again, we'll link to all this in the show notes, but while people are listening, it would be great for them to know where they can learn more.
1: Yeah. It's just, you know, greenbacktaxservices.com. That's, uh, that's our main gig. That's where uh, we spend most of our time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, thank you. And is there anything else you want to share either about Costa Rica or, or about some of the things that we've discussed today that, uh, the listeners should know?
1: Well, you know, one thing I was thinking about, uh, and I was listening to some of, uh, your podcasts earlier. And so one of the ideas that we've had for a long time, uh, is that if you stop and you evaluate your situation, uh usually your worst case situation is the one you're in and so if you take some of these risks if you take a calculated risk and you move to spain or you move to costa rica or you just go for three months to try it out to see if you enjoy working remotely and doing that kind of thing um, your batna you know your best alternative to the negotiated arrangement is just to go back to what your life was right you know you i could move back to new york and get a banking job i could do those kind of things. And I think that's another really liberating idea for people is, you know, if you're kind of stuck in a rut and you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, like this isn't great, that's not great. You know, you could just jump somewhere else, see if that improves things. And if it doesn't, you can go right back to where you were. And yeah, you know, maybe you have to buy a little bit of new furniture. Maybe you have to find a new lease on an apartment or something like that. Uh, but it's, Yeah. It's not overly complicated. It's not uh, going back is easier than yeah, you know, or it's a lower risk than never trying, in my opinion.
0: That's that's such a good point, and I, I don't think anybody. I don't know. You've traveled around a lot. You've you've lived in a lot of different countries. Presumably, met a lot of expats. Uh, you guys <laughs> employ expats, and your clients are expats. Do you ever really meet anybody that just? Really regrets it. I mean, sure, there's the edge case here and there, but like for the most part, people just genuinely come away going that. At least I find going, I'm glad I made that decision, even if that decision is to move back. They've, they learn something about themselves, but almost never do I hear the story that like all oh, the I took that leap of faith, I moved to Uruguay for a year, and it was the worst decision in my life. <laughs> never hear that story.
1: You know, I only hear stuff like that from people who get sent abroad as opposed to people who choose it voluntarily. But even, yeah, with a little bit of time, um, most of those people remember it fondly as well. Uh, Because, yeah, you're always going to have like pain points, right? Yeah. Figuring out where you pay your electric bill or, you know, where you can buy the breakfast cereal your kids like, you know, things like that uh, are pain points for people when they go overseas. Now, sometimes they turn into great things where all of a sudden, you know, your kids go from eating Cocoa Puffs to eating something better in a new place. Uh, Or sometimes, you know, people don't adjust that well and they don't really like it. But eventually they look back on it fondly thinking, oh, that was such an adventure. It was such like, you know, a positive time in my life. Um, And, you know, I think where I've seen that is like uh, military spouses and things like that, who, Mm. you know, they didn't get a say in where they were going. And, you know, maybe you're somebody that would love to live in Italy, but instead you got sent to South Korea. And so, you know, it's like, ah, you know, that wasn't really what I wanted. Uh, But, you know, most of the time people that go abroad, it is an awakening experience. It's like, you know, you get to see how other people do things. You're constantly learning and growing as a person. And, you know, from most of the people I see that tends to be positive and something that they, uh, don't want to give up.
0: That, that is 100% true. I would, I would absolutely agree. Um, that's a, that's a fantastic way to, to wrap this up. I have a million more questions. I wish we had uh, just endless <laughs> time, but, um, but this was great. Thank you so much, David. I, I know you're busy and really appreciate the time. And uh, thank you guys for all the great work that you do and for being a leader in the remote workspace. You guys are employing people around the world. We didn't even get to that during this discussion. So maybe that's <laughs> chapter two. Um, but, but really, thank you. I, I, it was a lot of fun.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's great.
0: Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com newsletter to get our monthly newsletter. No spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me, it also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.